All right, welcome back to another episode of Meet the Creatives. Today, I have the pleasure of meeting Ivy Ross, the Vice President of Design and Hardware Products at Google uh, in San Francisco. Thanks for being here. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. That is an awesome title. That is a scary title. I said, to, <laughs> I said to my wife before this interview, admittedly, I was a little bit nervous and I feel like I've talked to everyone, but uh, I've watched some YouTube videos with some of your stuff and I'm really excited about it. I feel like we're on the same wavelength for a lot of things. So um, can you tell me about your journey and you know, when you first found your love for you know, design, the creative field? Oh, wow. It's, it's been a long journey. Let's see. My, it started when I was a little girl. My dad uh, was an industrial designer. In fact, he worked for Raymond Lowy, the famous wow. industrial designer of the 50s. My dad just worked on cars, product, packaging. And um, I used to crawl into his office when I was little and just play with all these materials and textures. And he took me to... Um, automobile shows because I think he wanted a son and he got a daughter first, which right. was cool because I, <laughs> I, I reaped the benefits. Yes. But he would take me to auto shows when I was, let's say, five years old. And uh, we lived in New York City at the New York Coliseum. And he would plop me down in front of the hubcap of a car while he looked at, you know, just say, don't move. Look at that hubcap. And he'd walk around the car. He would teach me how to I'd be, look at things and see them beyond for what they are. So for example, yes. look at the way that light, that light fixture is connected. What else could be connected that way? Um, look at the way, you know, one edge meets another. So he really developed my eye, even as a little girl, and he would show me how to look at everything and extrapolate information from it so that you can apply it to other things. So back to the hubcaps, I think, um, I was, um, I love this direction already. This is like how my brain works. <laughs> Don't worry. I'm totally okay. on board. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I would be. I already have know, my own story prepared, but I'm a good listener. Okay. Though. I'm gonna get, right, gonna get through all right. this. All right. Well, hopefully it matches. The ending matches your happy ending. Okay. So, yeah, you know, I'd be eye level with the hubcap of the car, and literally be in what I now know to be this flow state as a little kid, like just falling into the rabbit hole of the hubcap and, and noticing, you know, the way it was connected, how the metal was bent, because mm -hmm. in those days there was very distinct differences from hubcap to hubcap or yes. car wheel, I should say. Oh yeah. And so, and so my dad would be watching, you know, the women in mini skirts and go-go boots opening car doors. And I would just be fixated on the incredible, his, uh, his mission to make you the sun was successful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be, I'd be focused on this, you know, incredible, um, circular design yes. and all of its componentry. And so I became a metalsmith actually when I grew up because I think That's it was- That's badass, that's so cool. Yeah, I think a lot of it was the influence of looking at a lot of metal and really um, fantasizing about how it can be shaped and bent and formed. And I became a metalsmith and a jewelry designer working with titanium, niobium, unusual materials. And I won the Diamond International, De Beers Diamond International competition. My work yeah. got in about 12 museums around the world in my 20s. And because I was a very curious, um, I attributed to the fact that he made me a very curious person. Like, right. look at things, Ivy, and say, you know, why or how or right. always. Um, and so I would uh, be in the studio making pieces and say, wow, you know, you can charge metal with this volt of electricity. It rearranges the molecular structure. So when light hits it, it appears this color. I wonder if I could cut back through the oxide layers, would I see 
how the colors build up, like what would be below there. So I would spend hours in the studio trying to figure out how to cut through those oxide layers. So oh my God. <laughs> essentially, I think it was my curiosity and my determination and my sense of um, a beauty and awe that got me to the place I achieved in my 20s, right. which was the, you know, the greatest gift of that achievement was learning early on that life was not about any one achievement. You know, we, we, I think there's a lot of people that say to themselves, oh, if I only got my work in a museum or if only this, right. then that. And I just followed my passion and did what I love to do. And that occurred. But that high and that ego trip lasted for about two weeks. And then it was over. <laughs> and I realized life was back to normal. And so right. the truth is I learned the gift was that life is a journey. It's not about a final a destination or um, to me, achievement is living the life that only you can live. Yes. That is your own journey, your life, and it shouldn't be prescribed by anyone else. And uh, what you're aiming for, there is no goal. It's yeah. just to to make every day um, a goal of of discovering something new or smiling all day or whatever. Exactly. So, that is actually pretty similar to my story because I, I was like – I was a kid and uh, the first thing I remember like and kind of like that like looking in awe moment was the first time that I was watching NASCAR on TV and there was mm. uh, the Jeff Gordon it was like a rainbow car and I loved it and I was infatuated with it and I and we were at this thing for like a church party and I sat and I looked at this car the whole time and then I kind of became um and I, I think this is how I kind of got in the branding space I fell in love with like brands and advertising because I fell in love with like paint schemes and then later in my life, paint schemes became like graphic design. Similar scenario to you. My grandpa was a land surveyor. So I was constantly mm. around like rulers and stuff like that. And, and then just recently, I went to my first NASCAR race. And the full it was such a full circle thing that I was like, after it was all over, I almost got like emotional because I was thinking to myself like, wow, like your life one way or another, if you're, if you're living it with good, like the right intent and just trying to get to that place of, like you said, like laughing and giggling all day long, just like being in your zone, it, it yep. can take you there. And it could take you there in the like most weird roundabout ways. Yeah, like no, my, it's my a, podcast brought me back to NASCAR from like that, that kid in front of the TV. It was so weird. Oh, wow. Cool. No, yeah. The, um, and I love the rims it's, too. It's, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's amazing when you, when you look back about what the, uh, I think when you're a kid, you're like a blank canvas Yes. and you know, the things that you experience and, um, are put in front of you that you engage with, um, are shape who you are. I yes. mean, it's, it's, I, I really believe that. And I know when I had my daughter, who's now a grown up, I, um, right. it, you know, I was very much not crazy neurotic over it, but aware that that, um, occurs. So very, a little bit intentional around what to expose her to. Just like your dad. That's so crazy. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No, we, all, we, we do do that. You know, we, yeah. that's how the, the lineage goes on or that's how right. I guess we see the relationships in our family, the similarities. That's kind of beautiful. If you think about that, that's pretty cool. Anyway. Yeah, no, I, I love that because hopefully each generation will translate it differently. Right. Um, 
and work with the essence of what they've acquired or through the eyes of the previous generation and yeah. and do something different. Yeah, for sure. So we'll talk a little bit about the role of empathy uh, in, your, in your role at Google. You know, when you're creating interactions and meaningful products at Google. Can you talk about how, how empathy plays a role in that process? Sure. Well, I think... You know, technology is here to be helpful to us. If it if it's not helpful, it's not going to stay around. Right. I actually, um, Kevin Kelly, who I think started Wired magazine, I once heard him say the definition of technology, which I think is very much true, that it's anything man-made. You know, we think of technology as right. screens now, yeah. but it was really, you know, a window, a door a, was technology, and right. it's lasted because it has been helpful we have a use for it yeah so i think exactly yeah so i think for me it's about let's not just make technology for technology's sake let's because it will only stay around if it's useful and helpful right so you have to have empathy with what the person who's going to use the technology is going to want to do with it and how to make it as simple as possible i think it's always about simplifying and what, what are we trying to serve? Um, what are we trying to um, allow the customer or consumer to do? Right. So it's really having empathy for different ways that people may want to interact with something. Yeah. There isn't one way. There's different ways. We're all different, diverse groups of people. Um, so we're always looking, you know, we do a lot of research up front with how people use devices in their home or even talk to them around what problems would they like to see solved. And we're always better off when we're playing into a problem that we know exists. Right. Like a, like a real problem that your average person would have, not somebody who's on like the front lines of technology, but rather somebody who, yeah, yeah who's an everyday correct. person who just kind of yeah, casually I, using technology. Yeah. And that's why we'll go into people's homes and, you know, observe how they um, use the things they have. Right. And then, and, and you also have to balance that with um, using technology in a way that people may not even, couldn't even imagine it could be used, but that it clearly can solve a problem for them. Right. It's so funny. My dad will literally get into... Um, arguments at like dinner parties with people about why Google is better than Alexa and he he loves it and it's it's changed his life but he uh -huh. loves he loves Google and he's constantly using it to like win arguments and it's so funny because my dad is like is the kind of guy who like doesn't always necessarily know how all of like the internet works but he knows his Google product and and I thought that that's actually the probably like one of the reasons why I initially like had wanted to to reach out to you because I was thinking to myself like, wow, that's so cool. Like this product is making real tangible change in someone's life who wasn't even necessarily anticipating it, but now it's a part of his day-to-day -day life and it's helping him, you know, live yeah, a better, happier life, you know? Yep. And you know, behavior, it's hard to change behavior. I mean, remember when we first started doing products where you um, interact by talking yeah. versus typing and we did um, research and people actually believe talking is more natural way yes. to communicate, which it is than mm -hmm. typing. So I found that fascinating. And now I believe there's times where you want 
to talk and times where you want to type. You know, yes. there's times walking out in the street where it may not make sense to talk. Right. Or you're on the quiet in, car in New York City in the train. That's not yeah. good. People start yelling at you. You don't realize you're on the quiet car. Sorry, right. keep going. Exactly. No, but, but <laughs> it's true, I though. think the, the fact that it's more, it's a, you know, we've gotten so used to now communicating through typing yes. that the fact that um, when we did this research, people stepped forward and said, actually, speaking is more natural form. Mm-hmm. I love hearing that your is it your grandfather you were talking about? My dad. Your dad. I, I, I bought it for him for Christmas. I'm I'm trying to get him uh, in in the loop a little bit more, but he loves okay. it though. No, I love hearing that story. That I mean, you know, just people who are not tuned in because they shouldn't have to be tuned in to the internet of technology because, as I said earlier, technology is just tools for us to use in our daily life. Yeah, for sure. I know, and I love that video that I was watching of you guys picking out the fabrics and like you went through like 200 different like fabrics. I'm not exactly sure what the number was, but you know, picking out like for Google hardware and stuff. So let's talk about that stuff. It's really fascinating. I'll let you take the lead because you know, you're the yeah. person who, who's doing um, this. How's that all work? Yeah. I'm fascinated. Well, you talk <laughs> about the fabrics in that video that was um, made, I think right after we had established our design language, which, you know, I do believe that my team and I were given a great gift to be able, the assignment was, you know, really what would it feel like if you had to hold Google in your hands? Cause Google did not have, you know, they had done some reference models like Nexus phones, but really had not made the kind of commitment they've now made to being in physical hardware and form. We really wanted to create a design language. And the great thing was being a little bit late to the game in hardware, you can stand back and look at other hardware and say we're not this we are this we're not this and you know who are we right as we you know in this new form this three-dimensional form right and so we really um looked at we put a cross-functional team together and kind of gathered all the documents and read everything about really what google was as its core and what were the words that were being used and we ended up with human optimistic and daring we use daring and bold sometimes interchangeably, but, um, yes. and we use those words to inform how we approach the design. So for example, you know, if you say human to us, that meant that things felt good to hold more natural. Yeah. Um, that's why I love and, the fabric. The fabric's yeah, awesome for yeah. them that way. And, and, and more, right, exactly. The idea was to make things that didn't just function well and look good, but actually felt good. That's and we're awesome. tacky. We're tactile because I think we're, as humans right now, looking for uh, to aliven our senses a little bit more. And so this idea that human was about feeling good to hold something and therefore making it more tactile. Mm -hmm. And that is why we used fabric in all of our speakers. And then optimistic, you know, Google always there's not too many other brands that kind of changes its logo logo every day through doodles. And, and, you know, right. there is a definite fun element to Google. And so to translate that to physical product for us, the word wasn't fun. It was optimistic. You know, what was that piece that would make you smile? And so for us, that was doing things such as on the Google phones, putting a orange button or a pop of color mm -hmm. where you least expect it. Right. And, you know, bold or daring is really trying new things um, 
like you know, covering a VR headset in fabric instead of making it in black plastic. Yeah. And, First and, time I saw that, I was like, "Whoa, that's some like that's that's weird." That was one of those things I saw. It. I was like, "I don't know how I feel about it." And then mm -hmm. and then eventually, like, I loved it. But seeing fabric on VR, it was like tactile meets like the future, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and we've also <laughs> done some other things um, that I consider bold moves, like on our our. Um, home max big speaker instead of having little feet for the speaker to stand sit off the surface we did like a rubber magnetic silicone pad that you could just slap on the speaker side either vertically or horizontally because it was magnetic which would raise it from the um, surface oh. so just being you know being daring to try new ideas uh, in the details right so that was that's where the really the idea of the fabric and the design language we use came from is these three words. And, you know, the optimistic part is also about not just buttons, but offering products in cool colors because Google should own color. You know, when yes. you think about Google, it's a colorful logo. And I'm not saying the product should be in the logo colors, but there's an element of color when you think of Google. So yeah. being able to go beyond just offering electronics and things for your home in black or white was also one of the motives. Yeah, for sure. I do think about color when I think about Google. I think about the, uh, the Lego micro kitchen in the New York office. That's like uh -huh. really cool. That's like my goal. That's why like one of the reasons why I want to work at Google is not just to, you know, working at Google would be amazing, but being able to play in that micro kitchen and being like a little kid. <laughs> Again, you're always just trying to get back to your childhood. That's so cool. Yeah, well, you know, we're incredibly creative when we're kids. I mean, I I, I sat on the board of the um, National Institute of Play, and uh, Dr. Stuart Brown there has done this research. And when from zero to five, often he says, think back when you were playing. Uh, when, when were you the happiest playing between ages zero and five? And what were you, what were you doing? And then think about what you're doing today. And there's, to be happy, there should be some connection. Yeah. And it's so true. In fact, I advise people whenever they're stuck in their career, you know, well, how did you like to play? And, you know, like I know for myself, I love to create these puppet shows with lots of people. And I would take this subject that um, was complicated right. and create a puppet show, how to explain it to people in very simple terms, That's but cool. all, the pu all the puppets had, you know, different costumes and colors. And I think about, um, when he was asking me this, I, at the time I was head of design for Mattel toys and he said, and what are you doing today? And I said, Oh, I have hundreds of people and we're, 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 uh, putting forth play patterns. Anyway, as I was talking about what I was doing, I was realizing that it was very much the essence, you know, not literally what I was doing as a kid, but it had that same feeling. Right. as what when I was really happy playing as a kid. Right. And so it's interesting how that comes full circle. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so the purpose of Meet the Creatives, for the most part, is to have kind of a nuanced conversations and to have ones like we're having today, but also uh, advice for people that are just entering the creative field who want to put themselves on a path to work at a place like Google. And you seem like the perfect person to talk about this with, so... <laughs> For people that are, you know, just leaving school or just kind of discovering their creative powers and they want to work at Google, they want to work in tech, 
how do you even begin to start that journey and uh, how patient should you be? Because I know that for many, it takes a long time. So the most important thing is in the beginning, especially is to have a variety of jobs so that you can explore the different types of being creative, quote unquote. Right. Um, in that, I actually believe in the beginning of your career, it's better to get into potentially, well, if not a smaller company, then a smaller department within a big company where you maybe have to do a number of different things so that you don't get locked down into any kind of specialty yet. And I don't think, I think the future is more about um, the integration of, you know, it's hard to separate out physical product from user experience because when someone receives something, the product is the entire um, experience. Right. So this idea that you might want to end up doing more um, user interaction or user experience, but you but you have started out in industrial design. I think that's great. I guess what I'm saying is to, to experience different aspects of design before right. you kind of lock in and say, this is what I want to be. Yeah. That, scared, um, that really scared me for a while. I thought that I was like messing that up because I was in all of a sudden I'd be into typography and then all of a sudden I'd be into photography. And then all of a sudden I was like, I went to Silicon Valley and I was like, felt like started to get really obsessed with the idea of tech, but I think that's okay. I think part of this whole podcast is getting people to just slow down and be like, you might just be kind of testing. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, not to become crazy over, oh my God, it's like, it's like having to declare a major in school, which yeah. I think is, is, is really, um, you shouldn't have to do that so early on because it should be to explore. Yeah. And I think the same thing with getting out of school, you know, at least you're more most likely honed into um, a swim lane, so to speak. Right. But in terms of, what stroke you're going to be doing within that swim lane, that should still remain a little open. Right. Um, and I would say the important thing is to look for places where they can give you that variety of experience where you really resonate with the quality of the work or thinking um, of that company. And, yeah, be open. I mean, you have to learn... It, you know, it's there's so many skills. It's the skill of the actual design work itself, but it's then the interaction with peers. There's the um, how to sell your idea. There's so many aspects to being a designer today right. that the more um, skills you can gain in in that variety of skill set, um, the better. And most importantly, you know, the people that are on my team that I, that I love all my team, but you know, we really look for the passion and yeah. it's a big difference when someone is passionate about a category or has a vision for how they want design to change the way society um, engages or looks at something, yes. you know, I, I love when we can match, make those matches of the passion with the need. Yeah. Um, it's magic. It's pure magic. So absolutely. So that's why I think you have to play a little bit first and then find what that passion is. 
And um, because good employers will always um, look for the spark, you know, in the eyes. It's not just, you know, I want to work here because um, I know there's free food. It's, you know, it's like, what is it that you're passionate about, that you're skilled at, that is a match with what um, we need? Right. You know, something that I try and get across to young creatives is even if you're not qualified for the position, like I look at a lot of the agencies that I spoke with early on in my journey, the interpersonal stuff wasn't there. My book wasn't there. Nothing was there, but my enthusiasm was there. I was like, well, why can't I get a job kind of thing, but still continuing to like maintain those friendships. They were the scaffolding to get to where I am now. So I, I really try and encourage not to be so transactional with things. Creating relationships, even when there isn't a job open, or mm-hmm. but just because you resonate or connect with someone is the best thing. Yeah. Because then when the opportunity comes up, you already have the relationship established with the person, and you could pick up the phone and say, "Guess what? Now there's you know there's um, a need that's a match yes. for what you do." So I think I agree with you. Not that I have all the time. I, I get a lot of people reaching out who yeah, yeah. I, I, tried, I tried to respond as much as possible. But right. it's, it's more, um, to your point, seeking out the things that interest you or the people or the companies. And right. Get close network. to the sun, I always say. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, you, know, you may not be able to. You may not have a Trojan horse like a podcast or something to do it. But, you, you know, there are groups. There are things you can go to. There's always ways to kind of get closer to the sun. And that doesn't mean yeah. favors. It means being around it, being in the culture. And it's kind yeah. of like, no, no, no. Yeah, like for sure. Because, or whatever, you know? Yeah, no, I think it's good to learn more about the culture that you might want to jump into. And it's good to make those relationships and connections. So I, t- I absolutely agree with you. And you may not even like it, you know? Finding out what you don't like is just as important as finding out what you do like, because that's, oh, that's how you get there, you know? Oh, absolutely. I've always said I want to live a life of no regrets, and I don't regret any job I've taken. And at times in certain jobs, I've learned what not to do, as you say. It's, it's as important to learn what not to do as it is what to do. So in terms of from my bosses or mentors, all of it's really valuable. Um, and so I think experience is the key and diversity of experience. Yeah. Because then you'll have the kind of the, the, you know, the things to contrast against sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. You have the breadth of experience and you, you get more insight as to what you're great at and what you love. And sometimes what you're great at is not what you love. And then you have to tweak things. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but I think, um, I know I've been in design and development, but I've also been a CMO head of marketing. Cause to me, and I never even thought about that for myself, but one of my act, previous bosses said, you should be in marketing. And I said, really me marketing? And they said, yeah, you can't help yourself. You always have your team, um, not only design the product, but show the spirit in which the context, the spirit in which it should be served up. And for me, for me, that was just, you know, when you're a designer, you have an idea and you image in your mind, the, the way in which you'd want to communicate that idea to the person you're presenting it to. And so it wasn't about stepping on anyone's toes. It was just naturally kind of showing that concept. And so when she suggested to me, you should be a CMO, I said, okay, I'll try it. Yeah. And, and I do think, you know, in this day and age, for example, the 
the story of the product is done when it's conceived or at its birth. And so right. to, ha to, you know, there's, it, to have all those areas around the kitchen table, so to speak, makes it a lot easier marketing folks then it's not making up a story. It's coming from a real authentic place of what was the intention? What was the need for this product? Right. Um, why did it get created? So I've even changed, as I just mentioned, full, you know, cause some people say, how could you have been a designer and then a marketer? And I, I, you know, for me, it's really about how do you hold a vision and lead a team of people to that vision? Um, that, is using uh, the power of you know visuals and words. Exactly. Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Uh, you've you been welcome. so generous with your time. Uh, where can people find you online? What are you up to these days? This is shameless self-promotion time. If you have a book, if you're thinking about writing a book, anything. Yeah, no, I mean, I, um, as you said, have a variety of, I mean, I work really hard at Google. I have a variety of personal interests. You know, personal interests are... Um, I've been studying sound healing for 30 years and um, I have all, so I'm extremely, extremely busy, but just like you reached out to me and it was, you know, I'll scan some of the the contacts and say, hmm, intuitively click, you know, and, yes, and this relationship came, came out of it. Now we're best um, friends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> no, 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 that's okay. You know, I will say I view my job now as vice president as really an orchestra conductor of, for my team, I have an incredibly diverse and talented team that I love. Yes. And my job is to really, you know, for us to all line on, to be a little bit corny, you know, what's the symphony we're playing? Right. Um, know my instruments really well to know when is the time to say a little more of this, a little less of that. Yes. Um, but to hold the vision and lead everyone to success in service to great product. So, um, my promotion would be that I hope everyone can find a role like that or be one of those instruments and eventually be the orchestra conductor. I am very grateful to have, you know, risen up from being a designer myself and then realize I get such pleasure out of seeing others succeed Yes. that once I accomplished what I wanted to, I have great joy in the group succeeding. Yes. And so I would, the one thing I would say, I would promote that you, yeah, find what really makes you happy because, you know, this definition of success, right. It's, it's, it really needs to be rewritten. Um, yeah, for sure. In that you know, we have this idea of what it is, but what it should be is the things that bring you joy every day. Absolutely. I can say personally from, from my view and definitely from my dad's view that you are creating a beautiful symphony at Google. So thank you okay. so much for being on the show. Thank you. And when, the and when the holidays come, you've got to help me pick out the, the coolest new Google hardware for my dad. We'll make sure that we get him on, you know, All right, well, stay tuned. There's some new stuff coming out uh, that you'll be hearing about very soon. All right, we're very excited. I'll make sure I send this to you. Thank you so much. Take care. All right, bye. bye.